0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that the sermon will be an encouragement to you and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Hey man, let's take our Bibles today and let's go to the book of 1 Samuel. You can be seated, but let's go to 1 Samuel chapter number 26. Samuel 26, and I want to say great singing this morning, and uh, I, love, I love when we, most of the time, I love when we go a cappella and just, just sing and lift up our voices, especially on the song that's, that's so worshipful, and uh, I hope that, uh, excuse me, I hope it's your desire <clears throat> today to, to just worship the Lord and to lift him up and to be close to him. When, I first, when we first started the church, it's been now, uh, man, almost, almost 10 years, 10 years in March. When we first started the church, I remember that my goal as a pastor, I was thinking, all right, my goal is to help people, number one, get saved, and then help them do right. That's kind of my mentality. Like, I just want to help people get saved and help them do right. And I saw within about the first six months that I was wrong. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Number one, I think a church is, is supposed to help people love the Lord or, or uh, get saved, trust Christ as Savior. That's, that should be a goal of a church, to help people come to know Jesus as Savior. But you know what? The goal of a church really is just to help anybody and everybody love God more. That's, that should be the goal of a pastor, of you as a church member, uh, of you as a Christian. It should be our desire. I just want to help people love Jesus. Why? Because he loves us. It's not about just doing right and making sure we have these, uh, you know, the T's crossed and the I's dotted. Uh, no, I want to make sure that I'm loving Him from the heart. And so I love that song that we sing that man. I love you more than any other. I hope that's our desire. I hope that's our heart today. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 26, coming back into our series. We've been in a series, this is, I think, message number 16, and uh, we're gonna go through this series. We have uh, one, two, three, we got four messages after today. Today's, uh, so we have, counting today, we got five messages left in our series in First Samuel But it has been a great study. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed preaching it and studying it. Uh, But we've met a number of characters. Of course, we first met Samuel. He was God's prophet uh, to the people of Israel during that time. And then uh, that leadership would transition to Saul. Saul would become the very first king that was anointed over Israel. And uh, we saw that Saul, because of his pride, God would remove him from leadership. And then we were introduced to a young uh, shepherd one who would be unlikely to be king, but his name was David. And of course, David is most known for the story of David and David. Goliath. Man, every, even people who don't go to church, you'd say, uh, do you know the story of David and they'd go, Goliath? Yeah, man. Uh, most people know that story. And so we jumped in First Samuel chapter 17 and we learned about David and learned about Goliath and everything that took place there. But when we moved to 1 Samuel 18, we discovered that David's battle with Goliath was only the beginning because he would now face a greater enemy. And that enemy would be one who at one point was a very close friend. That enemy would be one who at one time was a mentor. That enemy would be his very own father-in-law. You talk about home problems. David's enemy was Saul. I mean, the one who was king, who had invested in David, he turns on David because of that song, that hyperbole that they were giving out. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his 10,000s. And Saul is in envy and jealousy, begins to live out his insecurities. Remember that? He began to live out that pride and he began to attack David and try to kill him. And so we've been traveling with David as through the majority of the last few weeks, David has been on the run. We saw him hiding in the cave of Adullam, and uh, we saw him lying. We saw David. I mean, this is da- King David, the one who's a man after God's own heart. We saw him lying and scheming and manipulating, and then he would spend time in that cave of Adullam and in the hold in Moab, time with God and realize, you know what? God's trying to teach me some lessons. And he would go and show mercy to Saul, even though he, he at first was thinking about killing Saul there in the caves of En We'll see that again very briefly today. But then following that, man, Saul, he kind of he goes away from chasing David for a little bit, but David remains on the run. And last week, we saw as David came across Nabal. You remember the story, those of you that were here last week, Nabal, and he went to Nabal and said, hey, we've protected your shepherds here in Carmel and, and Mayon. we've protected them, would you give us some food? And Nabal replied, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? Anybody can run and, and not serve his master. And so David, uh, man, he kind of turns into that maniacal uh, crazy man again and seeks revenge. He says, you know what, he's going to tell me no, that's the last no he's going to ever tell anybody, let's kill him. Let's kill him, let's suit up. 400 of us are going, 200 of us stay by the stuff, 200 of us stay by the campsite, and 400 of them would start on their way to go kill Nabal, but in the meantime, God would use a little servant to go to Nabal's wife, Abigail, and tell her the story. Hey, David and his men, they protected us, but Nabal is treating them. Uh, he's, he's rewarding their good with evil, and so we, you gotta step, Abigail, you're a wise woman. Remember 1 Samuel 25, uh, chapter 25, verse number three, it described her as beautiful on the inside and the out. She was a woman full of understanding, God's understanding. And so that servant tapped into that and said, hey, you have understanding. You've gotta do something. And Abigail would go and we read, la- if you weren't here last week, what a great, great passage as Abigail would go and she said to David, David, let my husband's foolishness and his, and his sin Let it be put on me. Don't hold him accountable, David. Hold me accountable. And David, I'm bringing you provision. And then she began to remind David of some truths that he needed to hear again. David, you're gonna be king one day. Hey, don't make this foolish choice. David, Nabal, his name is Nabal and so is he. That's what she says to him. You say, what'd that mean? The name Nabal means foolishness. She's like, my husband's acting like a fool because he's a fool. She's like, he he has turned against God. And she's not just going going behind her husband's back to talk. She's trying to mediate. That's what she's trying to do. And she's like, hey, listen, he's crazy and running from God. Don't stoop down to his level. Don't overreact, David. And we watched as David humbled his heart last week and received that instruction. And what we were instructed, what we were challenged with last week is there's going to be times in our life when God places somebody in our life to say, hey, 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 don't do that. Hey, hey, you need to remember that God's in control. Hey, you need to remember, and, and we have people that come across our lives like Abigail was in David's. And David, he received that wisdom and we saw last week he was blessed, right? He got the goods, he got all the provision and then Nabal dies, so David got the goods and the girl. Abigail came and married Nabal, or, or married, uh, married David after Nabal was dead. Uh, I heard one pre- preacher say, 1 Samuel 25 is one of the only chapters that could be a Hallmark movie. You know, because uh, the, the girl is finally married to the, the right guy at the end. And those of you that like, how many of you like, I'm not even going to ask. We're not, we're not going to go there. Well, as we come to chapter number 26, we're going to continue with David running from Saul. But as we get into the word of God today, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a, an it quicked moment? You say, well, pastor, what do you mean? ever been doing a project or an assignment or maybe you're an author, maybe you're writing, maybe you're working on something at the home and and maybe it was school, You you just hit a roadblock. You know, you hit a wall. You, I can't write anymore. I can't, I can't crochet anymore. I don't know what to do with this. I can't work. Man, this electrical, this plumbing, it just isn't coming together. I can't fix this part on the car. You ever had that happen with something? I'm sure you have. Every one of us, we've had something that we're doing and then we just hit a roadblock. And we're like, I don't even, I don't know why it won't work. I don't know what the problem is. I don't, you just don't know. And so what do you do? Well, after you're frustrated for a little bit, let's be honest, don't look at me like that. You get frustrated too. After, you, after you're frustrated for a little bit, you go, you know what, I'm just got, I just gotta leave this here. I, I just gotta leave this alone. And every one of us have had those types of projects. We just gotta leave it alone. But then after you've left it alone for a day or two days or maybe even just an hour or two, maybe it's like three o'clock in the morning and you're sleeping and all of a sudden you go, I got it. I know exactly what the problem is. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have ever had an experience like that, an it clicked moment? Man, we all have. You're working on something, and then finally, finally, you get it. If you ever had that happen with a test, maybe you failed a test, and then after you failed the test, you're like, oh, I wanna retake it. Why? Because I know what I did wrong. I know what I missed. I had the it clicked moment. Today we're gonna to look in 1 Samuel 26. David is actually gonna be retaking a test, but what we're going to see is David's it-clicked moment. There's some truths that take place in 1 Samuel 26 that are truths, lessons that God has been trying to teach David. And I'm gonna say this and we'll see it next year. We're gonna go through 2 Samuel next year. So you just gotta I mean you gotta keep coming, see? You talk about a cliffhanger. <clears throat> Uh, here's what we're gonna see, that these four truths that click for David in chapter 26 are actually four truths that cl- that God is trying to get a- gonna try to get across to David continually through all of David's life. And they are four truths that God tries to get across to you and I in every situation. I think it'll be a help to us. And so let's get into the word of God today and see what he has. 1 Samuel 26, and if you would stand with me, we're gonna read verses one through seven. 1 Samuel chapter number 26 this morning, beginning in verse number one, notice what we read. It says this, and the Ziphites, they came unto Saul to Gibeah, and they said this, doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hekelah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakala, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David, therefore, sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. Hey, it's true, Saul is here. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched, and David, he beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench. That phrase, in the trench, would be in the middle of the camp, okay? That's kind of not necessarily a ditch in the ground. And the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul, to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai, they came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster, his pillow. But Abner and the people lay round about him. We're going to stop right there because we're just going to see a scene set up. We're going to go through and I'll describe uh, 1 Samuel 26 and all that takes place. And then I'll give you those four truths. But as you come into 1 Samuel 26 today, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see David in a very similar situation to what he's, he's in a very similar situation to what he's been in already two or three times. A couple of times with Saul, one time with Nabal, and now this time. And what we're going to see is in this situation, David is gonna, he's gonna be presented the test again to retake a test. David, have you been getting what I've been trying to teach you? And today we're going to figure out the answer is yes. He got it. He had his it clicked moment. Four lessons that helped David, that clicked in David's mind that I hope will click in ours this week. Let's pray, and then we'll get in the Word of God today. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to, Lord, to be used of you and to be filled with your Spirit, and that you'd help us to have ears to hear what you want to say. Lord, I pray that as we go through the service today, I ask you, Lord, that it would not just be an extra preaching time for me. I pray that it wouldn't be just a listening time for us as hearers, but God, that you truly would use your word to speak into our lives. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to give us today, and I pray that you'd help us to be attentive and to uh, hear clearly the message that you have for us. If there is someone who's with us in person or watching online that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. Bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> As we come to 1 Samuel 26 this morning, I want to just kind of give you a brief overview of the story. You go, and David, he is now in the wilderness of the Ziphites. If you look kind of in the middle of the picture, uh, you can see Ziklag. There's a couple question marks there. But then you see Carmel and Mayon. And just right there north of it, you see the town of Zif or the wilderness of Judah. Uh, we would know it as the wilderness of Judah. We would also know it as the wilderness of Zif. It's a beautiful place. Uh, those of us that have been over to Israel, this was a picture we took a couple of years ago of uh, the wilderness of Judah. What a phenomenal. This is my plug then. We're still going to Israel this year. If you want to sign up and go with us to Israel, there's still available spots. So you see Beth and you can see this place for yourself. The wilderness of Judah would be famous for a few different things. Of course, this would be the place in parts of the wilderness of Judah where Jesus would travel and be tempted of the devil forty days and forty nights. And we saw, we find that in the, the book of Matthew in chapter number four. But David. A few thousand, a few hundred years before Jesus Christ, he is here in the wilderness of Ziph, the wilderness of Judah. He's hiding about. And the Ziphites, the people of Ziph, they come to Saul and they say, hey, David, he's, he's in the wilderness, hey, you need to come down and you need to, you need to get David. You need to come down and, and take care of him. They're just trying to help Saul out, trying to uh, almost just uh, help their king. They really, most, most of Israel is by this time probably thinking that David has turned against Saul. They don't know that Saul is just being uh, maniacal and pride-filled, and so the Ziphites, they go, they say, hey, David is down there. Saul grabs 3,000 men. 3,000 men, he goes, and he encamps also in the wilderness of Judah, the wilderness of Ziph. As Saul gets there, David sends out spies, finds out Saul really is here. And then what we read just a moment ago is that David asks a couple of his men, Ahithophel and Abishai, hey, which one of you guys is going to go with me down into the camp? Now, we would automatically think, oh, David's going down there to kill Saul. But what we're going to see is he's not. He's gonna go down there because he's learned these four lessons. Well, what does he do? David grabs Abishai. Abishai goes with him. Verses eight and nine is, or eight, verse eight is Abishai saying, hey, they're inside the camp now. They're standing by Saul. Everybody's asleep. And Abishai says, David, God has certainly delivered your enemy into your hand. Kill him. Let, you know what? If you don't kill him, let me kill him. And as a matter of fact, I won't have to smite him twice. He's like, "Hey, let me use, that's his spear, and I'm going to stab him to the ground, and you one shot, and he's done." And David says, "No, verse nine and 10, No, I'm not going to do that." David takes the spear, the water bottle, and David leaves the camp. When David gets outside of the camp, we're going to see him hollering back in the wee hour, the early hours of the morning. "Hey, Abner! Abner! Captain of the host! Hey, you fell asleep last night. The enemy crept in and could have killed your king. God's gonna judge you for that. And then Saul recognizes David's voice and says, David, is that you, my son? And David says, yes, my king, it is. And then David says, why are you chasing me? You're coming after a flea. King, I am nothing. And and then David begins to reason. Saul, why are you chasing me? And they have this discourse back and forth. and Then David, Saul would turn and say, all right, I'm not gonna chase you anymore. And David would would go and we'll see what he does next week. And you say, pastor, that seems just kind of like a cut and dry story. It really could be if you just read it at face value. But this morning, what I want us to do is look at four lessons that David was learning. During this time, I want us to see number one, that God was trying to teach David this lesson. David, in every situation, in every relationship, you need to let God. David, you need to let God. You say, Pastor, let God do what? Let me give you real quick this morning a couple of thoughts, and that's this. Have you ever, hopefully you haven't, have you ever had someone trying to kill you? Anyway, uh, David, he's had Saul try to kill him. Some of you are like, yes, I actually have. Interesting. Interesting. Anyway, uh, David is having Saul try to kill him. And, and David, he's having, if you look at it, he's, he's having some struggles with people. Let's just rehearse the last few months of David's life. Chapter 23, David lies and has a run-in with uh, Ahithophel, the, uh, the priest. And it cost Ahithophel and his family all their lives. Chapter 24, David is up against Saul in Engedi. And if you go and you do the research, you know what happened in chapter number 24 is David was going to kill Saul, but he ended up cutting part of the robe. And the Bible says this, that his heart smote him, meaning I I shouldn't have done that. Chapter 25, I'm going to get back at Nabal. So in all, all of these instances, it almost seems as if David is presented with an opportunity, seek revenge or let God. And in all of them, he sought revenge. Until someone, uh, you know, Abigail stepped in or until his heart stepped in. But in chapter 26, we don't see that. In chapter 26, he goes down into uh, this, this area where uh, Saul is. And he's in this challenging situation again to let God, will let God do what. Notice a couple of things. What takes place in our passage? First Samuel twenty-six. Notice verse eight down through verse number twelve. First Samuel twenty-six, eight through twelve. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now, therefore, let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him a second time. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear which is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David uh, took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they gat them away. And no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked. Notice the end of verse 12. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Here's David, he could have, he's been having some relationship struggles, he's been having some challenges with people, he's been in some situations where really things have not been going his way, and now he's presented with an opportunity to make things right. He's presented with an opportunity to get rid of Saul. I mean, think about it, Saul has attacked him, Saul has pursued him, in all of these things we've seen David really uh, kind of be the, be the innocent type. I mean, he's, he's been maniacal a couple times, but not with Saul. Man, David and Saul, it's always been the spirit of Saul to kill David. And now David is there. God has enabled him to be able to get into the camp. Well, how do we know that? Because of what verse 12 says, that the Lord put a deep sleep over them. Man, God knew I want David standing right next to Saul. Well, why did God want David next to Saul? Well, I believe because God knew that David was having his it clicked moment. God knew David's getting it. And so here's David standing by Saul and Abishai. Go ahead and kill him. But David was learning to let God. What was he learning to let God do? Well, from verses nine and 10, we won't read them again. David was learning to let God be the authority and let God have the timing. He was learning, I've got to let God be the authority and I've got to let God have his timing. If you look back at verses nine and 10, he was saying simply this to Abishai, hey, I'm not gonna lift lift my hand against God's anointed. Hey, God is the one that set him up. God is the author here. God has the authority here. And then he says something different. David says, because there will come a time that Saul's gonna die. Either God will kill him, God's just gonna smite him, or he's gonna die from somebody else's hand, or he's gonna go into battle, which is actually going to happen the very next day. We'll see that in two weeks that Saul goes into battle and is killed. But in all of this, here's what David was saying. I've gotta let God. And Abishai, I've learned, I need to let God. Let God do what? Well, let God be the authority and let God have timing, have his timing. You know what, it's hard to say, God, you have the authority and God, you have the timing. It's hard not to say, I'm going to take things into my own hands. Think about the situations you face. Think about the struggles and the uh, scenarios that you face in your life, maybe with people, maybe with a coworker, maybe with a a friend, maybe with a relative. Uh, Maybe it's just a situation that uh, has come upon you because of a financial decision. Maybe it's a situation caused by you or caused without you. But every one of us have faced a situation where we say, God, I think you need a little help with this one. (laughs) God, I I think you don't know what's taking place right here. God, I think this one caught you by surprise. And we always, we want to help God out, don't we? But David had to learn how to let God. And it would really seem that David was constantly being reminded of this from this time time forward. And you and I, in every situation, we have to come to the place where we realize, I have got to let God be God. I've got to let God be the authority and I've got to let God have the timing. We often want to inform God of things that he doesn't know. We want to inform God of maybe a strategy that we've come up with that could solve our problem, our financial problem, our relationship struggle, our friends struggle, our work struggle. We want to to give God a lot of answers. And what we need to learn is the same lesson that he learned. In every situation, I've got to let God. You see, we rarely want to let God do things his way. We want him to do things our way. We want to be the authority. We want to be the one to control. We want to be the one that knows when things happen and has things happen according to our timeline. And this morning, we've got to allow David's click moment to be our click moment. Oh, I got it. In that situation, man, I've got to let God do it. I've got to let God be in control. I need to let God, I can trust his authority. (coughs) Excuse me, I can trust his timing. Job said it this way, Job 13, 15, though he slay me, though God slay me, man, I feel like the whole world is against me. Though God slay me, yet will I trust him. I will maintain mine own ways before him. You know know what Job was saying? Hey, I trust God's timing. I trust his authority. I'm just gonna keep pursuing him. I'm gonna let my ways, I'm gonna keep my ways before him. I'm gonna stay righteous before him. This is the the lesson that David learned. It, It clicked for him. And again, we're gonna see in months to come and next year that this is a lesson God was always trying to remind him of and I think it's a lesson God is always trying to remind us of. We're gonna see it even tonight in 1 Peter chapter number four, verse 19 about committing things to the Lord. What is that? God, in this situation, I'm gonna let you be you. God, I'm gonna trust you. Lesson number one, let God. Lesson number two that David had to learn continually and we do as well is, how to discern godly counsel. Lesson number one, I can trust God. Lesson number two, I need to pick how I trust people. Discern godly counsel. In the passage, it seems as though David had learned this. Remember the situations that he had previously been through. Again, I said we're going to rehearse them a few 1 Samuel 24 with in gedi with Saul in the cave of in gedi It seems as though the men, when David said, hey, we're gonna go, uh, or the men inside of the cave, do you know what they were saying to David? Hey, David, kill him. Hey, David, kill him. Hey, David, kill him. Hey, David, kill him. And so David, with a vengeful spirit, goes before like he's gonna kill Saul. When he gets there, he has a, he has a doubt, and he cuts off the robe, and right after that is when his heart smote him. Influence That counsel had drove him to the point where he made a decision that caused great conviction in his life. Chapter 25, it seems as though when David is before Nabal and the men come back and rehearse the problem today, hey, Nabal told you no. And David says, all right, guys, saddle up. Saddle up, let's go. We're gonna kill him. It seems as though all 600 men, of them, nobody stood up and said, hey, David, wait Hey, David, remember, remember the lesson you learned, David? Don't give railing for railing. Hey, David, don't give accusation for accusation. Hey, David, we can't return evil for evil. We've got to return good. None of them stood up and did that. No, it would seem, and the passage would lead us to believe in 1 Samuel 25, that all of David's men said, yeah, let's do it. Let's take him out. Chapter 26, Abishai is here. David, and look. Surely, listen to his words. Surely God hath delivered your enemy into your hand. You're saying, David, this is God's will. David, David, if you miss this opportunity, you miss God's very plan for your life. It's interesting. You know what? It's very easy. It's very easy to hear someone in the moment tell me what God wants me to do. It's very easy to believe it. Here's a friend saying, God wants, hey, God did this. Hey, God put him here. Hey, David, God, look, Dave, and he's trying to spiritualize the decision that he wants God to make. But this is not the decision God, want, God wanted him to make. And here's the thought that I want us to remember is, that there were times that Saul spiritualized his decisions. Remember what Saul said multiple times? God hath delivered David into mine hand. Now, was it God's will that Saul would kill David? Well, no. No, he was supposed to be that king. And we know, we know the history of that. If you've read that, we've, we've seen that. We'll, we'll see it. So here's David with Abishai saying, hey, it's God's will. God hath done this. What's David's response? Summarized in verse number 11. David said this, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. Did you know in life, typically, typically we have someone speaking into our lives. It's been stated you're not an island unto yourself. Now, some of you would like to be an island unto yourself. But typically, typically, We have somebody speaking into us, whether that's a friend or a a spouse or a parent or a a mentor of some sort, a pastor, a teacher, a a, a confidant at work, whatever the case may be. We have somebody speaking into us. And typically in the struggles of our life, when we go through decisions and struggle, or when when we go through struggles, We make decisions based upon the counsel we're receiving. And here's what we need to do we need to learn to discern God's counsel versus man's counsel that is spiritualized. Does that make sense? We need to learn the difference. Because anybody could read and say, "Well yeah, God put them to sleep so that David could go in and kill Saul." That's what God was doing, but we know from the context of the scripture that God was trying to do the opposite. And so here's Abishai. God did this. You need to be careful not to surround your people, not to surround yourself with people who will just tell you what to do and then wrap it in spiritual terms. You see, people love to spiritualize what they want to do. I can't tell you how many people I've had in my office, pastor, I need counsel. They don't want counsel. They want me to say, God God is blessing this stupid decision. (laughs) They want me to say that. And can I tell you, there's been plenty of times someone will come in and they'll say, Pastor, I have prayed and God showed me that this was his will. And I'm like, it's probably not. (laughs) You might say, well, pastor, how, how do you know God's will for someone's life? I don't. I don't know God's will for someone's life. But I do know how we can discern godly counsel. So in your life, how can you discern godly counsel? I'm gonna give you two simple thoughts about godly counsel today. How did David discern God's counsel? Number one is this, that if you're going to discern godly counsel, if you're going to discern his counsel from all the other voices screaming for your fellowship, if you're going to discern God from the voices of culture and the world and, and, and uh, the world's philosophy and humanism and secularism and all these things, how do I discern it? Ask yourself two questions. Number one, does this counsel align with the word of God? Does this counsel align, does it line itself up with the word of God? Does it parallel God's word? Now you say, well, pastor, I've made that decision and there was one time that I really thought the Bible said, we, my dad used to say this all the time growing up, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. Right? We can make the Bible fit any narrative, any storyline. But here's the principle I wanna get behind. You can't, make the, you can't make the Bible fit outside of the context of the Bible. So you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say, but not within its context. Case in point, someone will say, Pastor, uh, and I've had people in the community, hey, don't you know that you've gotta, you've gotta, you can get saved, you can have salvation from God by going to church or excuse me, by trusting Christ and you have to get baptized. And let's say they they both, you you've got it, you have to trust Jesus and you have to get baptized. If you don't get baptized, you're not going to heaven. And then they will quote various places in scripture that if you take the verse out of context, you could make it say that. But we have to put the verse into context and put the passages into context. And here's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In many of the passages that are talking about those things, we've got to understand that usually there's a secondary principle that's being taught there. I don't have time to get into that, but here's what I'm I'm looking at. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. I've had people tell me that the Bible was their reason for, I mean... (laughs) You imagine what they say, right? People can do that, but here's what we've got to do. I've got to, when I get counsel from somebody, I've got to say, does this counsel line up with the word of God, with, with the context of scripture? Well, I think, I think that I should go and I'm just gonna tell that guy off. I, it's God's will that I go and I let him have my mind. Well, there's some context of scripture that says not doing railing for railing. We've been at this for a while with Peter. And so what do we have to do? We have to figure out what biblical principle does this counsel remind me of? The reason why Abigail's counsel in chapter 25 was so good is because it reminded David of godly principles that he had already known. It reminded him of the principles that he even wrote about in Psalm 34, 56, and 57. Good counsel, listen, good counsel always accentuates or draws attention to the word of God. It brings God's word into focus. So how do I discern godly counsel? Number one, does this counsel align with the word of God? Number two, does who does this counsel benefit? Who does this counsel benefit? In our passage, the counsel to kill Saul would have very much benefited David and Abishai and their men. Why? They could stop running <laughs> Now, someone might go, well, it could have benefited the king and could have benefited, and we could come through with all a bunch, all these lines of who it could have benefited. But David knew God is the authority. This isn't going to benefit God. This is not going to exalt God in this situation. I can't lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Who does this counsel benefit? And then lastly, will this counsel bring glory to God? How do I discern godly counsel? Hey, does it align with the word of God? Who is it gonna benefit, and will it bring God glory? David, he's learning, I have got to discern godly counsel. You know what, sometimes we just don't see the bigger picture, and so we listen to any and every voice that speaks into us. Here's David, he's learning four lessons. Number one, let God. Number two, discern godly counsel very quickly, and I just realized the time we're we'll going get through this today. Extend grace and mercy with humility. Extend grace. This is lesson number three. Extend grace and mercy with humility. Some of y'all just looked at the time too. It's all right. Extend grace and mercy with humility. Notice what takes place. In our passage, we're going to find that David, he doesn't exact revenge upon Saul. Instead, He just takes Saul's spear and water. And and from this point, we begin to see a conversation take place between Abner and David. We're not gonna go and rehearse it. I I want you to do that. Write the passage down, 1 Samuel 26, 13 through 21. You go read it today and discover what David says. David calls out, hey, Abner, hey, listen, you are the bodyguard of God's king, of the Lord's anointed. Why'd you fall asleep? hey, you should have been watching because the enemy came in and could have taken the king out. And then he says something to Abner and we'll read the one verse in verse number uh, 16. He says to Abner, 1 Samuel 26, verse 16, this thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, you are worthy to die because you have not kept your master the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the cruise of water that was in his bolster. He's saying, hey, listen, you are worthy to die because of this. What was David doing in this moment? He was showing Abner, hey, I could have taken out revenge. I could have killed him, and you're at fault. Verse 17 then is where we see Saul come in. Verse 17 tells us that Saul would recognize David's voice. And he says, is that that thy voice, David? Is this thy voice, my son, David? There's that endearment that Saul is trying to conjure up. And David said, it is. It is my voice, my Lord. I submit my king. Hey, you still reign over me. Saul says, wherefore doth my, or David said, wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is in mine hand? Verse 19. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. Hey, listen to me. And notice what David says. If the Lord, if God has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. David's first thought to King Saul, "Hey, what have I done to you?" Saul listen, if God has told you to pursue me, show me my wrong and I'll do a sacrifice to make it right. That's what he's saying, "Hey, Saul, if God's done this, show me what I've done wrong and I'll do an I'll, I'll make it right with God because there's got to be peace here." He's giving he's giving Saul the benefit of the doubt. Notice he continues But if they, the the words, if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. Hey, Saul, if you're getting this from God, so be it. I'll accept it. I'll sacrifice. We'll make things right. But if people are speaking into your life, telling you that I'm against you, Saul, they're wrong. If it be of the children of men, man, let them be cursed by, I, I am not against you. And then he says, For they, those people speaking these truths, these lies, have driven me out from out this day from abiding in night inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Then he says this, Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Man, you are coming out, some you are coming out against somebody that is so insignificant. But here's what David is doing. He's not assigning motives to Saul. Did David think it was God telling Saul to kill him? Of course not. Go read Psalm, go read those Psalms, 34, 52, 56 and 57. David knew. He knew that this was Saul. But he doesn't listen. He doesn't assign motives to Saul. He doesn't say, "Hey Saul, I know why you're doing what you're doing." He says, Saul, listen, I want peace. And in humility, O Lord, my king, in humility, he extends grace. And we see by not killing Saul, he gives mercy. And in humility, he gives that grace and he gives that mercy. And I just want to think about this for a moment. It's easy to assign motives to people, isn't it? It's easy for us to climb inside of the mind and the heart of of somebody else and claim why they are doing what they are doing, why they are saying what they are saying. It's easy to do. But you know what God desires? God desires that we would show grace and mercy in humility. David, he's doing this. And I want us to think about it this morning, that David, he he was doing something that only God could do through him right? Here he is. I could have killed him. But I am learning the lesson. Extend grace and mercy in humility. Man, this is a lesson that would help us in every situation from people to jobs, to relationships, to finances, to extend others grace and, humil- or grace and mercy in humility. And real quick, I'm going to say this this morning. That doesn't mean that we allow those who have hurt us that we're extending grace and, and mercy into. It doesn't mean that we give them access back into our lives. David, in this moment, he doesn't say, Saul, I just wanna give you the benefit of the doubt. We'll see Saul saying, all right, I'm leaving. We don't say, David, go, all right, I'll be right there. I'm coming. We don't see David doing that. We see him offering grace and mercy and humility, but then realizing I can't trust this dude. I'm still not trusting you. If you extend grace and, and mercy to somebody in humility, it doesn't mean that you allow them back into your life of trust. We, we, sometimes we mix that up. I just wanna help us understand that today. Forgiveness doesn't mean trust. Grace and mercy doesn't mean trust. It means, hey, I'm not going to exact revenge for what I what what you've done to me, I'm not going to take revenge out. It also doesn't mean that we don't continue to seek God's will with people and seek a relationship with people. And maybe, maybe this relationship, this friendship can't be restored. Okay, that's that's probably God, that might be God's will. But you, you know God's will for you, but I'm telling you, here's what God's will is that we know in scripture. I'm not gonna try to exact revenge when something has been done to me. Lesson number one, David learned, let God. Lesson number two, discern godly counsel. Lesson number three, extend grace and mercy with humility. And lastly today, lesson number four, David was reminded about individual responsibility. Individual responsibility. If you go to 1 Samuel 26, verse 22 through 25, here's what David says. David answered and said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. The Lord render uh, to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by thee in, in the uh, Lord, or much set by in the Lord, eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. In these verses, David is simply realizing, hey, listen, Saul, I showed, mer- I showed mercy to you. I hope you'd show mercy to me. But here's what I'm learning, Saul all I can worry about is my actions. All I can worry about is me. Saul, I'm learning all I answer for is me. He says there in verse number 23, he says, the Lord render unto every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. Hey, Saul, I'm getting something. Saul, I finally, it's finally clicking. You will answer to God for you, and I will answer to God for me and david says all of this based upon three principles that we see and we're not we have time to get into them that god sees god knows and god rewards hey god sees your heart and your motives and god sees their heart and their motives hey god knows he knows what you're going through and he knows what they're going through hey god rewards truth will be vindicated truth always comes out. Say that with me. Ready? Truth always comes out. Truth always comes out. But sometimes we have to remember it's not in our timing. That goes back to I've got to let God. David was learning this individual responsibility. You see, we wanna be God in every situation. We wanna be a boss. We wanna dictate the actions of others. And my real problem in situations I face is that I don't believe that God sees, God knows, and God rewards. Because if I really believe that he sees, he knows, and he's the judge of the universe that will reward and weigh out truth, when I really believe those truths, then in every situation, I will be okay. Why? Because I know I can let God I'm discerning godly wisdom. I can extend grace and mercy because I will answer for me. But most of the time, I'm not okay. I don't wanna let God. Why? Because I want counsel that goes along with me. I want, I want revenge. I don't want mercy and grace. I want to get even. I always tell the boys, and I tell them, you know, they, we go around and, and wrestle and stuff like that. I tell them all the time, listen, dad doesn't get even. I don't get ahead. I make you regret your decision. (laughs) Listen, I learned that from my sisters. I've told you the stories of them. And that was my my theory. I'm not going to get even with you. I'm not even going to get ahead of you. I'm going to make you regret everything you ever did to me. Listen, I'm joking with a sibling, but sometimes that's our spirit in all of our relationships. I just want to get even with you. And so we don't want to let God. We don't want to trust him. But here's what we have to do. We have to realize, and the truth is this that in every relationship, in every trial, in every challenge, in every single, every single decision in life, I will only answer for me. You can't control people. You can't make things right. You control you. Romans 14 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of Himself to God. In David's life on this day, he learned these lessons. He understood that in life's situations and in life's relationships, I have to number one, let God. Number two, discern godly counsel. Number three, extend grace and mercy in humility. And number four, remember and recognize individual responsibility. I want to challenge you today with this ask God to help you this week to recall the lessons. You see every every one of us this week we're going to face some situations where we're going to be ta- where we're going to be tempted to not let God. Can I tell you this morning, let God this week. Let him be the authority, let his timing rule in your life. This week we're going to be talent we're going to be challenged and tempted to spiritualize some decision that we know in our heart is probably not God's will. And we might even allow someone to speak into our life a spiritual truth. How many people have been led astray by a Christian claiming to be giving God's will? Far too many. May we not be led astray this week. May we discern godly counsel. This week, in every relationship and situation, God helped me to extend grace and mercy in humility. And this week, God helped me to remember, I answer to you for me. Four lessons David learned. There are four lessons that he will continue to need to learn. And there are four lessons that you and I need in every situation. I hope we'll learn them today. But the last thing I wanna give you is a very simple truth. I see a great picture of Jesus in this passage. You say, Pastor, where? Here's David. He could have killed Saul. Saul was, Saul was the one who had sinned. Saul was the one who was filled with pride. Saul was the one that deserved everything he got, and yet David said, I'll show mercy. When Jesus was on the cross, you and I were Saul. Revenge and the thought to get even because of our sin that separates us from God, God could have said, I will take you out. There's no forgiveness, there's no grace, there's no mercy. And yet on the cross, Jesus is like a David. Saying what? I'll show mercy when you don't deserve it. I'll extend grace when you don't deserve it. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.